we don't know the detail of the conversations that are going on, but coming off a multi-ligament knee injury, player still not cleared for contact. And still, would you think of the scope of time since his surgery? Surgery was in December. So a lot less time to recover. Welcome back to Disney Marvels for week of April 18th, 2021. This is episode 131. Disney Marvels, the show about Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Muppets, Pixar, 20th Century, The Parks, ESPN, and much, much more. If it has to do with Disney, it's fair game. I'm your host, Matthew Graken. So, I put a poll out, as I have been, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever I can be putting polls out. That's where I've been trying to do it. This one was, who is your favorite character from DuckTales, either 1987 or or 2017 because well last week we were talking about some of our trying to talk about our favorite DuckTales episodes so I wanted to see who are some of your favorite characters the ones I put out there I put Scrooge or Huey Dewey or Louie I put kind of clumped the, the boys together unfortunately I didn't want to but didn't have much of a choice Webby or other no one picked other okay so you you know we have narrowed it down to your main characters there 18% said Webby. So she got a, a nice little chunk there, 18%. 36% said Scrooge. I thought that one was going to be a little higher, but 36% went Scrooge. And 45% went with the nephews, Huey, Dewey, or Louie. Um, no one kind of specified on which one was their favorite. But hey, still, the nephews are the favorite characters, apparently, according to you guys, according to the listeners. You guys love the nephews, and I get it. I completely get it. Thank you so much for voting. I will have a new survey out. Look for it on the socials, primarily on Twitter. Let me see if I can kind of figure out something to do with Facebook. And on Instagram, too. Look for it on the Instagram stories. It'll pop up on there. And also, as a side note to this episode, this week's episode, I recorded this with Stefania Bell a few weeks ago. So it is the announcement that came Monday this week of Alex Smith's retirement. We neither of us knew, at least I didn't know that he was going to plan on announcing his retirement. Congratulations to him. Wonderful career, wonderful guy. And you'll hear Stefania and I get into um, get into his story, especially the latter part of his professional story uh, in today's episode. But in the meantime, we'll be back after these messages from our friends and sponsors. Hey Matthew, Jim Hill here. I do the Marvelous Disney Podcast with Aaron Adams over at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. I know, I know, very humble sounding name. Uh, anyway, I really enjoy what you've been doing over on the Disney Marvels podcast. Uh, but as you probably already noticed, the Marvel Us Disney and the Disney Marvels podcast names are very, very similar. Which is why I imagine I keep getting mail for you. Um, that's actually why I'm calling today. I wanted to know what you'd like me to do with all of these Yankee Candle catalogs. Uh, so uh, please get back to me. Uh, oh, and uh, keep up the great work with the Disney Marvels podcast. Thank you for those kind words, Jim. And make sure to check out Jim Hill on the Marvel Us Disney podcast with Aaron Adams to find out all sorts of wonderful things about Disney, well, Marvel uh, particularly, what's going on with them. 
And Jim, uh, those catalogs, I'll make sure to give you the forwarding address. And uh, unless if you want to order something, go right ahead. And once again, make sure to check out Marvel Us Disney with Jim Hill and Aaron Adams wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. And now, on with the show. I know I've said this many, many times, but I love doing this podcast because I don't just talk about theme parks. I don't just talk about movies, but I get to talk about all aspects of the Disney company. And one of the aspects that I think sometimes does not get enough recognition for their work is ESPN. And I have the honor of having a senior writer of someone that is very important to ESPN and she has a great story to tell, and if I read through all her credentials, it would probably take about an hour. Stefania Bell, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's um, it's opening day of baseball, so we can think about spring, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. My Mets just signed a big-time shortstop, yes. so we'll see if that actually <laughs> helps them this year. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about the beginning of a season. It's, you know, the potential for everything is there. New hope, right? New hope. Everyone's indeed. even. <laughs> indeed. And just the fact that we are able to still have sports um, and something to take our minds off of just all the other craziness going on in the world, I think, you know, is a fantastic blessing. I would agree. I can't wait to get back to a ballpark myself. Uh, I love going to a baseball <laughs> game, especially the minor league ones. Um because it just it's so family oriented that you know the family can go there it's not too expensive and you just sit back and relax you know a a, a, a beautiful game like baseball or um soccer or football or, or whatever but the family can sit back relax cheer for a little bit get something to eat and just have a good time right great day a great day outdoors something that we all really want to get back to right absolutely absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. And this summer, again, it's a new, you know, new season. So much potential. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That's right. So, Stefania, I want to get started. Where did it begin? Where did, where did everything begin for you? You know, I, <laughs> I know it's a, it's a big question. <laughs> I know this, this is a big question, but like, okay, so where do you call home? Because if I remember correctly, um, your dad was in the military, right? He was. He served in the Korean War, and uh, he was actually stationed for a while in California, and that's what drew him, even though he was born in Boston, it drew him back to California. So he and my mom moved to California three months after I was born. I was born in Boston, but grew up a Californian. My brother was actually born in California, so he likes to say he's the only native Californian in the, in the family, but uh -oh. I was there since I was three months old, although I have lived many places. Um, you know, for school and then for work at different times. But I tend to always gravitate towards the Bay Area. Now, I live in Connecticut now because I work for ESPN. So I live um, maybe 20 minutes from ESPN headquarters. And that became necessary because of the studio shows that we do and the frequency of needing to be there. 
Um, but it's interesting now. I haven't been on campus much at all in the last year, a little bit during football season when we did our shows. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just living living out the pandemic in central Connecticut, like a lot of other ESPNers. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know you were definitely in Bristol a couple of times um, at the campus area because Sunday morning I would see you uh, on stage <laughs> right. uh, behind the camera. So I, I know you were there. Um, first of all, we thank your dad for his service. I really well, appreciate thank you. it. Um, my dad was also, um, he was a merchant Marine. And mm. uh, so I, I really appreciate everything our brave men and women do for this country. So you know, my biggest thanks to, to your dad. Um, how did you end up going into the medical field? You know, I think I was always drawn to medicine. My dad would always talk about how when I was a little kid, I was always, you know, if he got a splinter, I wanted to take it out. It was a very dramatic procedure. You know, it took a long time. I would alcohol down the area, very carefully tweeze it out. I'm sure he would have rather just done it in two seconds. Um, but there was something about medicine that always appealed to me. And, and I used to think I wanted to be a vet. Um, but when uh, a couple of our pets either got sick or, you know, injured, I was so emotionally overwhelmed because I just felt so badly for the animals. I thought, mm -hmm. well, I can't really do that. For some reason, I tolerated um, dealing with people who were injured much better. I'm not sure what that says about me, but that seemed to be the direction I was headed. And uh, I've always been a sports fan, like being around sports. So I knew orthopedics was probably the area that I wanted to go into. And I thought originally I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. But then when I was in college at Princeton, I had a chance to work in the training room there. And this is before, you know, now you, you see these students who are student athletic trainers work in the training room and, and, and huge programs, especially the big sports programs. They have a very active um, student trainer, you know, program. And, and there's a lot of education in athletic training that didn't exist really then. It was really learn by example. And one of the things I really liked was I saw that the PTs and athletic trainers who worked in the training room spent a lot more time with the athletes day to day in working to get them back than the doctors did who saw them on consultation if they needed to come in or then did the surgery. But that they had that limited interaction. And there was something about the relationship of rehabbing the athletes and seeing them day to day. Um, that I really enjoyed. And of course, it was fun because it was your peers and I was working in the training room. And so I got, I, I was spent a lot of time with a lot of the athletes, men and women at Princeton, because that's who I took care of. Um, I'm a lifetime member of Princeton women's basketball because I was, I traveled with them. I and mean, back then, as student trainers, sometimes we would be the only ones on the, on the road trips. So uh, that really drove me towards rehab and um, physical therapy. And then I uh, applied after college to physical therapy school and went to University of Miami and obviously um, pretty big sports school as well. And mm -hmm. it just kind of kept pushing my interest towards sports medicine. So when I got out of school, I knew that's where I wanted to gravitate to. Um, but I spent some additional years after school getting more training in broader orthopedics and manual therapy and then kind of focused my practice into sports. And after uh a couple of years of practice, I ended up going, moving to Kansas City. One of my former faculty members had taken over as the chair of the program, and I had a chance to work at KU Sports Med and teach in the physical therapy program, two things I really wanted to do. So wow. I got a lot of experience working with D1 athletes and then also teaching, and that that kind of really elevated me into the world of sports. 
That is that's fantastic. And Princeton, which is right down the road from where I'm at. So I'm in Monmouth County. So literally oh, yeah. I get on one ninety five, I'll just drive straight down and I'll, you know, almost knock on the door. My wife actually was in that air, that's where she had to take her board exam for her nursing license. Yeah, it's a I mean, it's a little slice of heaven. Anyone who's been to Princeton, it's just a gorgeous spot um in New Jersey. It beautiful. I mean, I, I used to be a big I not used to, but you know, when I was there, I was really big defender of New Jersey because I felt like people didn't really appreciate how beautiful that that state is. So uh, Princeton was very special to me. Yeah, we we always end up as the butt of a lot of jokes, especially when it yeah. comes to New York's expense. Oh, New Jersey, yeah. it all looks the same. Yeah, it's not Watch true, yourself though. there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that that is a that is a great journey. So you got to teach, you got to learn the physical therapy, and, and that's something I've been telling my daughter. Um, she's in high school now. She plays soccer. She's now even tr- looking into possibly picking up lacrosse. But I keep telling her, you don't know where sports can get you. There's so many opportunities, and besides just the playing, but between like physical therapy, sports medicine, just you know, sports broadcasting, so many different opportunities that can come from sports. Also, just the the skills that it teaches between team building and communication and working with people. So I just say, you know, hold on to it and don't don't take it for granted because you don't know where this this can which uh, this can take you. I know she, you know, she may be young, but one day I think that will sink in. Well, I also think it's good. Um, the points that you make that it, it's, it's more than even just being an athlete. I think sometimes, you know, I treating high school athletes was a big passion of mine when I was working in the clinic all the time. Um, and after I was at KU for five years, I moved back to California and, um, and I helped run a sports medicine clinic for Kaiser in the South Bay. And we, um, you know, South Bay area, huge sports population, very Mm -hmm. intense, very competitive. Um, At times that does not bring out the best in coaches or parents. Um, But I love taking care. (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love taking care of high school athletes. Like they were really, they were probably my favorite group. I had a lot of collegiate athletes between San Jose State, Cal Berkeley in the offseason. You know, a lot of collegiate athletes and some pros and, and then some younger kids as well but kind of my, the ones close to my heart for the high school students. And there's a lot of pressure on them at that time. Cause I think they feel like, well, if I, I have to do this to try and get a scholarship for college, you have to remind them that that's, that's a very small percentage that end up with that. And to your point, there are so many other benefits to playing sports that don't necessarily mean you have to go on and play at the collegiate level, but it just teaches you about health and fitness and teamwork and, and like you said, exposes you to a lot of different pathways. And I think, especially for young girls now, there's so many more opportunities than I ever saw when I was mm-hmm. a young girl in sports. So um, for that reason alone, it's worth continuing to participate in any level. Yeah, and particularly, since, like I said, her main passion seems to be soccer at this time. Said, so, you know, you're lucky to be a, a girl playing sports or in particular soccer at this time with things like the nwsl and the women's soccer league paving the way mm-hmm. for for athletes um and, and really you know the wnba and just trying to you know make a point that women's sports and men's sports the only difference is that you know boys and girls playing them other than that 
just as competitive sometimes you know the the level play i you know i may be biased maybe a little better on the women's <laughs> side than the, the men's oh, side yeah. well, I, I think in soccer we can certainly say that quite comfortably yeah <laughs> yeah uh u.s men not making it to the olympics <laughs> again <laughs> um but you know it is what it is but yeah and um you know, so I, I, I do champion women's sports because there is no reason that we shouldn't be supporting our, our women athletes and, you know, again, just trying to, to help her out. Um, but, yeah, it, it, sports is just it's got so many facets beyond just the playing it. And like you said, teaching about proper, you know, health for your body and just in a day and age where it's so easy to just sit around on your, you know, couch, mm. chair, whatever. <laughs> And not do much. Um, you know, a, a perfect excuse is get up and do something. You know, even just a couple times a week, you're still being active. Even my youngest one, we just signed him up for flag football. He just played his first season. He absolutely loves it. And it, you know, it was a beautiful outlet for all that. Yeah, you know, he's a, a six-year-old boy. The amount of energy that is contained in that body. I wish I could have a quarter of it. Yeah. Uh, but having him running up and down that field, he just, he loved it and, you know, put a smile on my face to see the smile on his face. That's great. Um, how long did you do a physical, you know, you're in the physical therapy practice area. How long did you do that? If you don't mind asking. Oh, no. I mean, I was a physical therapist for 20 years when I switched over to working at ESPN, um, you know, or roughly 20 years, um, of clinical practice. And uh, I still maintain my license, although I'm not treating patients regularly anymore because my job is full-time at ESPN. But um, I think it's important to maintain my license and, and stay active, actively mm. engaged in the profession. I, I still feel like my identity is as a PT and it's important to me when I'm on air, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my little credential thing says I'm PT and I, it, it is part of my professional identity, and it certainly contributes to what I do currently. But um, there, there was a lot of practice experience in there before I ever went into the media side. That that is fantastic. Um, my my wife actually works in a, um, a subacute rehab, mm-hmm. so she you know she works closely with uh, physical therapists all the time. Um, I work in a high school, and we have physical therapists come in to work with some of our students. I work in the mm-hmm. autism program, so there's people that, you know, they need PT, OT, all sorts of, of different things. So uh, when I worked in the hospital for four or five years, um, the, you know, working with the physical therapist, trying to help move the patients, get them up uh, out of bed into a chair uh, and, you know, different, you know, having them do different exercises and things. It is a fantastic and I think, again, a lot of times overlooked profession that helps people get back to some sort of normality in, in their lives after surgery or an accident or, or something, or just some of us as age catches up to us. <laughs> and there's a lot more of us that are, you know, people are living longer. So the, mm-hmm. the, the older uh, active population is getting bigger and bigger. So uh, I think it is important. And um, you just pointed to the fact that there's a lot of, we were talking about how sports, you know, there's so many opportunities there's also many, many opportunities in the world of physical therapy, and it doesn't have to be in sports, but it can be no. in the school system, like you referenced, or in a hospital or a rehab facility. Um, and, and so there are PTs all over, and that's one profession that, um, 
you know, there's no job shortages. So uh, that we are a profession that is always growing and there's always a need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that you're keeping your license, keeping you active in, in you know, staying active in the, the realm of physical therapy for your current job in, in uh, sports media is actually a, a very smart move because it keeps you abreast of all the situations that are going on. What's the latest thinking? Um, you know, what are the latest methods? How are things, you know, progressing, you know, new methods and new ways of going about things that, we're, you know, things that we find out that, okay, we, we did this for 30 years this way, but now if we just change it slightly, we reduce the recovery time in half or something like that in, in versus people that, okay, well, that's not, I'm not a physical therapist anymore. I'm not practicing medicine anymore. So whatever I knew when I stopped is what I know. So. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, it's critical for what I do. And just, I'm, I'm a person who's always interested in learning more. And so um, staying in touch with my colleagues, and I have some excellent PT colleagues who are working with the top athletes right now. And, and it helps me to keep an eye on the things they're doing because um, I'm sort of picking up little tricks and, and that, that arena, it's always, you know, how can you get these athletes back? Um, not always the quickest because the quickest doesn't necessarily mean the best but um the kind of the balance of getting them back relatively quickly um at the best possible level so they're ready to compete and still avoid re-injury yeah that and that's i think the unfortunate and on uh, particularly pro sports is your your players are an investment but at the same time it is a business. So if they can't produce, it, it, it's it's a very cold way of looking at it. I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, why a lot of these players push themselves to get back so that way they can keep their job secure. Um, but at the same time, in the long run, is that really the best thing for the team, for their their teammates, and for themselves? So it, it is a it's a weird <laughs> diagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a neat one. No, no. Um, you mentioned that you you were te- that you did teaching as well. How how long did you do that, and what sparked your interest into into teaching? Yeah, I think I've always liked it. I was a kid who my younger brother is six years younger than me, and I always wanted to like volunteer at his school. I always want. I, I was very interested in teaching, even when I was a kid, trying to teach other little kids. Um, probably bossy too, but <laughs> uh, we won't we won't know, judge you. We won't ask. But even then, when I was in grad school, I applied for a graduate assistant teaching fellowship and got one in the orthopedics course. And so I was a graduate assistant helping teach in the lab. I just really liked it. I loved the idea of sharing education information. That's always been sort of part of who I am. And uh, so I knew I wanted to get some more opportunities like that. And I figured I could be, you know, in a, in a physical therapy program, you have didactic uh, classes, but you also have practical classes where you, because there's so many techniques and things you have to learn. I figured, well, as a practicing therapist, maybe I can get in the door and help as a lab assistant. But it turned out that this former faculty member um, of mine had taken over as the chair of this program, and and they had quite a need. And he had a, he could put me in a teaching position right away. That would be 50-50 split of teaching and clinical, which is what I wanted. So I could maintain yeah. my clinical practice and teach. And uh, 
it was a bit of jumping feet first into the fire. If you look at my career path, it's always that way. Every time I take a new job, I'm like doing something that's way over my head. And I find out through the course of doing it, um, you know, sink or swim. But uh, I really, again, I loved it. And um, I was teaching something that I wasn't expecting. It wasn't necessarily orthopedics, but it was a class of it was like a mishmash of things that you dabble in in physical therapy school, but you don't spend a lot of time in. So exposure to certain other, you know, conditions or uh, people who practice in certain specialty areas. But because I had to learn so much to help teach it, I loved it. And I met a lot of uh, people who were guest instructors, who, guest lecturers who would come in and help me grow a network of people in Kansas City pretty quickly, too. Um, and then I went on to assist with orthopedics. And when the professor who was teaching orthopedics moved on to something else, I ended up taking it over. So I ended up basically overseeing orthopedics in the in the department at KU. And I loved it. Um, when I went back to California, it was hard to leave because I really didn't want to leave the teaching. But I was fortunate enough to not only um, pick up a, a, a teaching position at Samuel Merritt College, which is in Oakland, California, um, mm. It was an allied health school, you know, the nursing school, OT, PT, yeah. et cetera. And uh, I also taught in a post-professional fellowship. So people who are already physical therapists, but then were then taking, um, you know, kind of like an orthopedic surgeon might do a sports medicine fellowship. These are physical therapists who did manual therapy, orthopedic fellowship uh, training for either three months or nine months where they would come basically embed and learn more advanced techniques and and we did um, actually teaching with patients, seeing patients together and things like that. So all of that I was doing while I was working clinically in the Bay Area, too. And I, I just always loved it. And I, I got to tell you that the teaching, um, you know, there's nothing like students let you know what you don't know because they'll let yeah. you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, my students were, were great um, for the most part, but they're very it, it becomes apparent like you can't get up and, and lecture or teach uh, on a regular basis if you don't know what you're talking about. And I did one of my favorite things was a sports medicine elective because that was just students who wanted to take it. It wasn't required. But I could bring in all kinds of cool stuff related to sports medicine and other people and things. And because I was teaching high level sports stuff, uh, which I was so passionate about, and I got the students who were really interested in it. That was really fun for me. And it, it forced me to take concepts and be able to break them down and teach them to students. And that served me well when I was transitioning to the media and learning how to craft things into sound bites. I mean, there, I don't think there's anything that prepares you. PTs like to explain. We're explainers. So for the most part, we will take 10 minutes to explain something to you that you probably could say in two or three sentences but we'd like to explain and um when you go to tv you don't get much time <laughs> you know you might have 45 seconds and you're thinking how am i going to say anything meaningful in 30 or 45 seconds you know when when you know that something if you really wanted to explain it properly it's a little more complex than what you can deliver in 30 or 45 seconds so it was hard for me to figure out how to say something that would still be you know, something that where the audience could take something away and yet uh, and yet not, you know, overextend the time that I needed to do it. So how do you say uh, how do you capture something in 30 or 45 seconds um, and, and deliver it? And so that's I mean, I still struggle with that at times. It's still that is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're taking medical content and trying to translate it out. 
Um, but that exercise is probably part of what keeps me sharp. You know, I have to really, I have to work at thinking, you know, there's a lot of work. I think people think, oh, you show up in your own sports center for 60 seconds and like, it's no big deal. Like you roll out of bed and you do that. And there's, there's a lot more that goes into that 60 seconds because it's all the prep and the gathering of the information and maybe checking with a couple of sources or maybe consulting with someone who's an expert in this particular thing. And then thinking, okay, what are kind of the key points that I want to make and to be able to put a bow on it within that time frame. Um, that exercise is still, you know, one of the hardest things I do. And not just that, you have to translate to the lay people because it's not like you're speaking to another physical therapist or someone in the medical field that you, know, you mentioned, you know, a hematoma on their, you know, left tibia. Right. Most people are not going to understand that, you know. Right. So you have to find a way. And, and the challenge with that really is you have to find a way to communicate to um, somebody who might be totally unfamiliar with medical terms. And I don't think, yeah, you know, and also not in a condescending fashion because, look, I, I mean, I would be at a loss if I had to do talk economics. That's not mm-hmm. my strength, and so um, there, I don't expect people. Why, why would you know about medicine if you hadn't studied it? There, there are ter- there's terminology that floats around. I mean, everybody's heard ACL now, so I think people, yeah. but ha- not many people could say that's anterior cruciate ligament. I mean, some could, but. It's still just because the terminology is out there doesn't mean we fully understand it. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but you have to you have to give something to people so they feel like a little bit more armed with information when they walk away. But at the same time, you know, we're we're kind of a big network. We're on in a lot of places and many medical people are watching at the same time. So you can't say things that are not factually correct right. in the interest of whittling it down to something that's palatable for a sports audience you still have to i I feel like i appeal to two different groups that may be at opposite ends of the spectrum and that's really hard to do yeah and the senior praise you do a fantastic job um you know because i kind of straddled that line of being on both ends of it and um i i always understand 90 percent of the time understand what you have to say and uh, <laughs> and it's it like I said, it's professional enough, but it it's not kind of you're not making it up and just serve. Oh, this sounds good, so let's tell them. Oh yeah, you know. Um, and, and you always walk that fine line too that you don't want to give information. And this is you personally. You don't seem to. You try not to give false or misleading information. You know, how you constantly say. Every injury is different. You know, the recovery time for every person, not even every person, but every time they get injured, you know, one injury is not the same as another injury. Just because they pulled their hamstring one week, three weeks later, they pull their hamstring again. It's not going to mirror itself. And, you know, you you do a great job at explaining that to people. Oh, well, thank um, think, you. It makes oh. my heart smile to hear that come back to me because uh, that's. It was very important to me. I kind of made a promise to myself at the beginning. And, you know, when I started doing this injury analysis, as I called it, I, I'm the one who came up with this term injury analyst because they said, what should we call you at ESPN? <laughs> you know, my title is senior writer, but like if I was on TV and I said, well, you know, I looked at legal analysts because that was a kind of a niche that was starting to be developed where all mm-hmm. these people who would be on, you know, they had court TV came out of it. Um 
they, they would have people on to discuss legal cases who weren't directly involved with those cases, but based on their training as lawyers or their courtroom experience, they could provide insight into the things that were likely happening. And I thought, well, that's what I do, but it's around sports medicine. So I just said, well, and, and it's really around injuries. You know, player gets hurt. We're talking about an injury. I'm providing analysis and based on the information we have on that player, but also relative to what that injury means in general. And I made it, I made a decision early on that I was not going to go down a speculative path that, you know, there's often video available. Um, and I just am reluctant to say, oh, this looks like this and such, because I know enough from being in medicine to know that things can look, you know, and nine times out of 10, it could be that. But that 10th time, there might have been something that you didn't see or something that was really relevant that happened in a communication between the player and a team physician on the sideline or an athletic trainer on the sideline that would have informed them that something different was going on, but we don't see it. We don't know the whole picture. We also don't know the athlete's history. And so <clears throat> if there isn't information to substantiate it, uh, I don't get into um, speculating on video. Now there are some people who do it and they will do a really good job um, in terms of accurately describing what they see and making projection, but it's just not a lane I wanted to be in because I came into this early. I was the first one to be on the national stage, if you will. And th there were too many opportunities to create something where people would say, oh, she gets it wrong. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, don't listen to her. And to me, it wasn't about like, it wasn't about like being right and guessing the injury. It was about explaining information around the injury so that fans could better appreciate what might the player might be facing or, you know, how other people have done with similar things. You know, it's not a, I don't know that there's a ton of value in saying at the moment, this is what it is. I mean, some in fantasy might argue that they really want that at the moment, but I, I still, um, that's going to be my path yeah. going forward. I will not be a speculative person. So, you know, and I think in some ways and, as much as people may not want to admit this, you learn more from not speculating what the injury is from, you know, just analyzing, okay, here's the, here's the facts <clears throat> and sticking with the facts and in look, going the direction that you do versus saying, Oh, well, it's a broken leg. He'll be back in you know three weeks. Um, I, I think in something that many people, you know, we all have health, we all deal with injuries. And the more that no one seems to ever want to learn about it, but I think the more that we learn about our own bodies and how to, you know, recognize things of our, you know, our bodies still go to the doctor, but we're at least be better informed, you know, to one self advocate for yourselves and two, to just understand what's happening in the process. A lot of people just say, I, well, the doctor told me this. I don't know. It's not always necessarily the best thing. So, like I said the direction that you go it is more informative, and I think people can learn more that way than, like I said, just going the speculative route and say, "Well, this is what it is," and you know, so be it. So, um, yeah, again, kudos to to you know <laughs> wow. picking such a direction, and you know, <laughs> being you. one of the first people to actually to set that platform, to set that bar, because that that is a fantastic bar to try and reach, and uh, I, I I don't find many 
have reached it, uh, do it justice. Well, um, that's, it's nice of you to say. I will say this, you know, it's hard because uh, not everyone can afford, there are a number of people who do this, but, you know, they still have their day jobs or they're still practicing mm -hmm. medicine, whether it's, you know, as physicians or PTs or what have you. Um, and I respect that. But I also know the time it takes to be able to be on top of multiple sports, to follow all these athletes and to follow what's happening um, this year, adding the drama of following COVID protocols. And it's a lot. And, and it's hard to do that um, without dedicating your career to it. So yeah, this is true. This is true. So how did you transition? You, you brought up a couple of times. I think it's a good point to ask. How did you transition from practicing physical therapy in a clinical aspect to now ESPN in talking about it um, in starting a, a basically a new career in this uh, in that building? Well, it basically began um, out of my interest in fantasy football and uh, a lot of my I played in a very competitive co-ed league and a lot of people were asking me injury related questions. So I knew I was onto something injuries obviously mattered and, and mm -hmm. I knew that as a player, but I also realized that when my own um, competitors in my league were coming to me, but asking me injury information because they were trying to figure out how to set their lineups. I thought, well, this could be something that I should, you know, figure out how to do on a bigger scale because the information is valuable. And I, I saw a fantasy football growing. I mean, I knew it was growing. That's around the time that people started selling draft boards. Even ESPN had draft boards you could buy mm. back then that you would order like your draft kit and they'd have that paper draft board you'd set up. And uh, a friend of mine was, he and his brother had started a draft board business. And so they kind of just showed me how they were navigating this world of fantasy sports. And I basically just tagged along to one of the fantasy sports trade association meetings to try and meet some people in it, pitch my idea. And I think people thought it was intriguing, but most people thought it wasn't going to work. Like it wouldn't be standalone. There would never be enough how people, you know, who's going to, who's going to pay money for that. And I thought, well, anyone who pays money for anything that gives them an edge in fantasy football is going to pay right. money for this. And so um, despite the, uh, there, there being a little bit of, you know, hesitancy from others at the outset or, you know, it wasn't like it was just boom, it fell in my lap. I, I convinced a couple places to let me write inside someone else's byline. You know, I just did a couple paragraphs on, you know, injuries and then ultimately wrote a wire, took a bigger, um, shot with me, asked me to come on board. And I, oh, no. um, I, uh, I wrote for them. I wrote for their magazine and then they developed a contract with Sirius XM, which put me on the air for the first time. That was mm -hmm. before Sirius XM was big, you know, and, uh, that got me practice in doing radio hits and getting more comfortable with that. And then right around that time is when Matthew Barry moved to ESPN and I had met him at a couple of the fantasy trade shows and he was building the ESPN fantasy department. And I uh, talked to him about it and he was in intrigued because number one, I did something that was totally different. Number two, I was a woman in an industry where there weren't that many female voices. And um, so I give Matthew a ton of credit because if he doesn't go and lobby for me to get brought in for interview and audition, then that door doesn't open. But 
Um, you know, I, I was nervous. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to ESPN and trying out here. And I can still think back to how nervous I was with the first time I came in, but, uh, and then sure after my audition that I, they were never going to speak to me again, <laughs> but because I didn't know, I didn't know anything about like which camera to look at or what to, you know, I really, I, I was nervous, you know, Matthew's like, Oh, just, you know, we're just going to talk. And it was baseball even that we were talking about. And it, I just didn't have any practice of doing things on air. And all of a sudden I'm on a TV set um, doing something with no, you know, no, no, no experience ahead of time. That being said, you know, they saw something, I guess, and they uh, offered me a job. And, and really it's been, uh, again, like I was talking about earlier, everything is learn as I go. It's sort of the nature of how I do things. And, 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 Shortly after I got there, I mean, we launched Fantasy Football Now. It was an all-digital show mm-hmm. on Sundays. Um, it was di- all digital for a couple of years before it ever got TV exposure. And we did little, you know, little various hits. And then I would get brought on to ESPN News to do segments. And the more I did and the more comfortable I got, the more I started to figure out how this whole thing worked. Well, that is, that is something. And, um, I mean, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Matthew Barry's story, go back to episode 66. That was from December of uh, December 11th, 2019, where Matthew Barry talks about how he, he got into fantasy football because he didn't start there either. And um, and how he got into the ESPN. And so uh, kudos to him. And we won't tell him because well, we yeah. know how <laughs> we know how he gets. Um for making, you know, recognizing the potential um, and having the vision to be able to bring you on and what it can mean, because it, it really is. I mean, whenever I check my my fantasy st- uh, setups and look for the injuries, because I'm always looking at the injury stuff. I'm like, OK, what does this mean? Where are the possibilities? Um, this person dropped someone because he's injured. But is there a chance that they'll bring him back and, you know, that I could grab him, stash him for a bit or. So there is a lot of importance in the the injury aspect, um, but also for you to make a name for yourself in, like you said, a predominantly male industry, uh, you know, it <clears throat> speaks a lot to your your character and your knowledge. Um, and, and again, kudos for you to to just keep pushing. And for people who've not sat down in front of a TV camera, I mean, a home video camera, a cell phone, that's one thing, but to sit down in a studio in front of a camera. And to actually talk, to carry on a conversation is not as easy as it appears, especially if you've had no experience at it. It Uh, is not. It It is is not. And I think the thing people really don't appreciate is when you have this thing in your ear, when you have an earpiece, an IFB, and you have a producer talking to you while you're talking, or you hear music, or they're telling you to do something, what that is really, that's a whole nother level of learning how to multitask your brain your mouth has to go on automatic and you hope that something mm-hmm. um obscure doesn't come out <laughs> i think it's right. the nicest way to say it yeah um and then like you said <clears throat> also to try and you know you have this wealth of information you could and correct me if i'm wrong spend hours or maybe days trying to gather information on something that you like you said you have to now condense down to 60 seconds a 60 second bit you know, cameras on you. Go. All right, you're done. Whether you're done or not, you're done. 
That's that's right. I mean, you when you talk about the earpiece in your ear and they're telling you, they'll be like, rap, or they count 10, 9, 8. So you know that you have to finish your thought in that amount of time. And it takes a while to get comfortable with that, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Um, for a while, you did your own podcast. I want to bring up Answering the Bell. I know we talked about it beforehand, but I, w- I do want to bring it up. What was it like for you to be able now to have your own voice to pick your topics, your guests, and you know discuss on things that you particularly have an interest in? I loved it. Um, I really came out of getting listener feedback off the Fantasy Focus podcast where people were sending me tweets or, you know, there was a while where we did online chats. That doesn't really happen anymore, but we did online chats or mailbags and people would write in with questions or thoughts and, or, you know, stories about their kids who played it, you know, when concussions were a big topic and and you remember this uh, when the NFL changed their Mm -hmm. rulings about uh, concussions and it became like players got hurt. They weren't going back in the games. I mean, there was a whole number of changes throughout the league and it brought up that topic for athletes of all ages. And so we were talking about it on the podcast, but people were writing me and saying, you know, things that they observed as parents that they were concerned about or what information could they give the coaches because they felt like there wasn't any guidelines for them. And those are the things that really sparked my interest in doing a podcast where I could bring on, I knew I had some amazing concussion resources. So that was actually one of the first things I wanted to do. And I did a four part series. I'm really proud of that. Those episodes um, talking about uh, not only, you know, how concussion classification had evolved, but sort of the way it was managed. And we, we use the NFL <clears throat> largely as an example in terms of what the concussion protocol meant and that, but the idea was to convey some concepts that people could learn about and, and operate from, or, and even just to talk about some of the resources that were available. Yeah, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I remember you, you talking about, there was a piece of technology now that the headset that someone was developing to be able to track eye movement Oh yeah, good, good memory. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. That this using basically VR technology and looking at eye movements and and um, the and having eye tracking uh, difficulties be reflective of some sort of neurocognitive change, and that um, this was helping um, teams at least pull athletes or and also decide about when they were able to return. Um, they're very careful to say that it was not a diagnostic tool for a concussion, but it certainly mm-hmm. signaled that there was something present that warranted further examination and, and that these athletes should be either pulled from the activity they were doing or indicated they weren't ready to return just yet. Um, but that it, it's amazing because not, you know, there's just so much study in this area. Um, people are still looking for like the right biomarkers. I just saw something recently about a saliva test and I, I, I shouldn't cite it because I can't remember exactly. Um, but these are the kind of things that they're looking for now, you know, and it really, this whole area of concussion evaluation treatment, which was something nobody talked about before. And now we yeah. know there are, there are ways to treat. I mean, it makes sense, right? You treat everything else in the body when there's an injury, why would you not treat the brain? And, and I think, um, 
just retrospectively, you look back at what was happening 10 years ago, you look at what's happening now, it's pretty remarkable. But um, that that's always of interest to me because it goes beyond, you know, the, the reporting and that stuff. It's fun and it's what I, I do. But having that connection, I think it still goes back to the education and being able to share information. And I think it's empowering for people, parents of kids, if they feel like they learn something that they can then go take and say, this is what I want to watch for. You know, overuse injuries are a real problem. Um, with kids and uh, special early specialization in sports is something that's one of my big soapboxes that I get on against um, over specializing too early. And so being able to talk about some of those things and give people some concrete information and resources to go to, um, to learn more, it was super important to me. Yeah. I mean, even my own, uh, going back to my daughter, uh, I apologize. I keep bringing her up, but uh, just some of the experiences that I I've had it. with her. And her sports, um, you know, 10 or so years ago, um, I was one of her first coaches, and this was kindergarten, and they had us go through teaching how to recognize signs of concussion and keeping eye on things. Um, so it is something that has dwindled down to the recreational leagues in in some areas. Now I wonder if she's playing on her travel team. Uh, a few times mm-hmm. she's gotten either whacked in the head with the ball or another player's gotten hit in the head with a, a hard kick. Um, the coaches pull them and, and sit them and keep an eye on them and um, follow up the next day with the, the family. See, okay, what's going on? Any problems? So it, it is become, thankfully it's becoming more recognized that, you know, th- this is something that needs to, uh, like you said, be treated and be, you know, realize that, this can develop into other problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just well, tough it up and get back out there. You know, th- this is this is important. Um, I, I watched the um, concussion movie with Will Smith and how they, you know, start. A, you know, this doctor had to fight the NFL to make them realize that, you know, we you need to watch out for your players. That you know that this is a potential long long term problem. And you know, looking at some of these athletes that didn't get that um you know attention when they they got injuries uh uh, uh i forget the what's the steelers quarterback um oh i'm blanking on the name now uh but he's mm-hmm. on the one of the other networks um oh terry summer. bradshaw thank you thank you how many hits did he take to the head that you know may have messed something up um to you know look at quarterbacks now that you know eli manning who you know he got beat up quite a bit but they took a little better care with him but now you go like patrick mahomes that you know he takes a shot to the head they pull him off they're putting him in the tent whether he's kicking and fighting to go back out there or not no we're examining you so Mm -hmm. i i like the steps but again i feel that there still needs to be more done yeah, well, you know, and, and we always say, um, you know, the reason they call it practicing medicine is because it is practice. It's not perfect. Yeah. And and medicine evolves like everything else. I think, you know, the concussion situation was interesting because uh, the media on it jumped um, and was asking for things quicker than the science could really evolve around it. And so you always run into a little trouble. I think we've seen the same thing with COVID, you know. When right. there's news to something and, and the science is is having trouble keeping up because science doesn't happen so quickly. And so we, 
it's you have to be careful in terms of overgeneralizing or um, or making uh, what's the drawing conclusions, I would say, summary conclusions too quickly. But it is pretty remarkable what we have done in the world of concussion injury in the last decade. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So what's a day in the life of Stefania Bell? It, normal. <laughs> nor, normal. Uh, yeah, non-COVID. non-COVID. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's interesting is I've been asked that before and I don't, I, it's hard to give you a, and it, now in the fall, there is a more definitive schedule because typically we have a podcast in the morning. So, you know, there's uh everything is built around the podcast, which we record. I can't remember if we recorded it at 10 or 11, but you know, it's sometime by the late morning, but before that, it is 10 o'clock because I I get to either, I could be wrong, maybe 11, but I want to say it's 10 o'clock because I get the notifications (laughs) and when I'm done with work at 12, I'm downloading it and listening to it on the way home. I love that you're, you're ready for it when it's up there. But I think, um, you know, we start the night before because we do have a show rundown. We put in our ideas. We have a Google document that we share back and forth in terms of what we want to talk about. There's, you know, it's a live season. So there's news that's always rolling in overnight. And then the morning for me, it's important to get up and check and make sure that nothing has changed and, you know, whatever is factoring into that. Um, and then the afternoons kind of depends on the day um, because d- different days of the week, different reports come out. You know, if it's early in the week, uh, the players are off and you're waiting for injury information. So that's kind of big. And then Fridays are huge because that's when you're getting the injury report filed with the league in terms of game status. So that's really Friday is a really long day for me because that's really important to get that together. And then um, Saturday is a day of prep largely for Sunday. Um, most Saturdays are spent prepping. And then Sunday is our show. I mean, I'm up at probably 4.30 or 5 in the morning mm. looking at anything that's coming. Re- really going to Adam Schefter's Twitter feed um, to see if he's gotten the uh, notification of who's going to be in or out. Because sometimes, you know, he, I mean, his sources are great and can say things that medical sources can't divulge. Um, and I don't think he sleeps. He probably doesn't, but uh, that's not an option for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> not no. if I want to go on TV and speak clearly. And then, you know, we do the show, and when the show's over, we immediately go to this big, large conference air- room area down in the cafeteria where they have all the games on, so we can watch, kind of have an eye on all the different games, which is a combination of wildly overstimulating and also fun, but then exhausting. And by the end of that day, I'm usually beat. Um, and, you know, it's trying to figure out when to leave to go home b- between games and then watch the night game at home as you're planning everything you're going to roll into Monday. So the fall feels like it never stops. And then, of course, you know, there's other sports that are happening in a, in a typical year. Um, the NBA is starting up when we're late in the season. Baseball is ending in the first half of the football season. So if there are other injury big injury stories within the fall, I'm still paying attention to those things in the event that there's something for me to talk about. In the off season, you know, I, I, it's around events that are timed and it's been weird in the last year because I haven't traveled as much, but normally I would be at the combine. I mean, it just feels like this big emptiness with us not mm-hmm. having the NFL combine this year because really probably the meeting that we all look forward to the most, it's, it's a socialization you know, socializing opportunity with all these people who are front office people that you never otherwise get to see. Um, You get to see all the new, you know, 
draft prospects coming in and, and they're excited to be there. It's really media's first chance to interact with them. So things like that. And then I also have medical conferences, big sports medicine conferences, you know, they all the sports medicine people, um, those meetings have to be timed around big events. So there's a lot that happens pre-baseball. So a lot of the baseball meetings um, to in advance of baseball season are in January. So football has just ended. And I'm usually trying to do something with baseball in that time. And then between NFL combine and NFL draft, I'm probably going to spring training and checking out what's going on there. And so, you know, and then throw in other mixed in things. I, I spent a week at, in Vegas two years ago for fight week and was with um, uh, one of the fighters for the whole week of prep and kind of going through from the physical standpoint, all the things they go through to get ready to fight. And uh, oh, wow. that, that was fascinating because I was at the Performance Institute. So it was right up my alley in terms of performance and training. Mm-hmm. But it was it was totally different than a sport that I normally cover. But I walked away with a huge appreciation for, you know, what these fighters are doing and their training and their rehab, et cetera, et cetera. So um, one of the things I love about my job is that I don't wake up with. I do not have the same boring schedule every day. I mean, it's literally I could wake up and be thrown for a loop because if there's massive breaking news, my day suddenly becomes something different than than what I thought it might be which can be both a blessing and a curse, you know, it keeps, it keeps it interesting, but there are days where you thought, okay, I'm going to catch my breath today. And then that's not at all what the plans are. Life takes it in a different direction. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know how you guys do it in the, 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 the actual football season, which I guess the playing season is really where it gets down nitty gritty. But I mean, this stuff actually starts in the summer. Um, I mean, we have the draft coming up, you know, on the what the 29th. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, just for whatever reason, it just seems so disconnected. Like I didn't realize it is so close. And I know, you know, you got Trevor Lawrence. I couldn't tell you a lot of the other people this year versus some of the other years. It is different because I don't, I don't get to watch as much college football as I'd like to. I really love college football, but um tied up with other things and so i really use the combine as a chance to like get a face with a name and all that and you know we're missing out on that this year for sure yeah indeed well hopefully next year (laughs) we've made great strides counting on it yeah and you know hope we keep going um now this is where i want to get into a topic that i proposed to you initially you did a E60 special called Project 11 mm-hmm. um, regarding the now, unfortunately, former Washington uh, Redskins, Washington mm-hmm. football team, um, Alex Smith. How did you get involved in that documentary? Was it something you proposed to ESPN, ESPN proposed to you? No, I, I brought the story to ESPN and, and the story came about because Alex and Dr. Robin West, who's the head team physician and had taken care of Alex from the beginning, um, had had a conversation about documenting his journey. Because when he was looking to speak to someone who'd been through something similar, she told him, uh, there really isn't someone. Nobody's nobody's had this exact injury in the NFL. And, and it came up the idea of chronicling his journey, for better or for worse, not knowing what the outcome would be, but really as a, as a roadmap of, of 
this is w- what you're going to see if, if this happens. And so um, I had known Dr. West uh, professionally outside of the sports world. Um, just she's been uh, a team physician, both in NFL and MLB for uh, years. And so we knew each other professionally and she thought I would be a good person to tell the story. So we all had a conversation and I learned about what had happened to that point. You know, this was right after Alex had gotten through, you know, he had survived, obviously, um, but still had really no idea what the outcome was going to be with his leg. And uh, he really wanted it to be full access. I mean, he gave us remarkable access. He and his wife gave us remarkable access to not only him and uh, his family, but to his medical records, to his medical care providers. And that was how we were able to tell the story the way that we were. But I went to ESPN to E60, um, Andy Tennant, who oversees E60. And I basically asked him for a meeting. I told him what he, what I had. And I, I was hoping, I thought to myself, there's no way they could turn this down, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is unbelievable. But you never know. I mean, there's so many good stories to tell that don't get told um, that I was nervous about it. But uh, Andy was blown away by it and also by um, just the willingness they they gave us that, you know, to follow them through the highs and the lows that were as of yet undetermined because they didn't know how it was going to go. And I think that green light to be with them all the time was the thing that made it such a compelling piece. So obviously you you got involved early on, well, relatively early on in the, in the process of his um, long, long journey uh, I should have taken a note of how many days it was, but it's um, the way that the show was formatted um, really helped you help spell out how long this whole process was. And the amount of access that you guys had was, I, I thought, astonishing. A lot of times, you you know, you get, you know, either reenactments of stuff or just people talking about it. Um, this was basically... A, a like you said a video diary of of the whole thing um and and i was quite astonished whenever i saw how much was caught on video in not just the the moment of the the incident in itself but him in the hospital um his wife elizabeth visiting him and him kind of in just this daze that it it, mm-hmm. it was not kind of what you're expecting to see of a person, you know, uh, lying in a hospital bed that you, you could see something wasn't right. Um, so how long did this all come to, uh, to take, um, pardon me, how long did it come uh, to, to get it all to put together? Um, um, we were, well, we were with them for 15 months, roughly. It took about 15 months um, for us filming and everything. Um, so that it was, it was long. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's a long time. Um, so you were working on this on top of your, mm-hmm. you know, fancy you know, jobs and, you know, everything else that you, so this was an additional project. Um, Cause I had honestly had no idea until you'd mentioned that you were doing this, that, okay, you were, you were in the background working, you know, that closely with the, the Smith family. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, yeah, that's it was all throughout that. Mm-hmm. That's quite impressive. What was it like to have such an intimate access, not just to Alex, 
but to the whole family, especially his wife, Elizabeth. Well, I think she's really the, um, the hero of, this, of yeah. the story. You know, it's, I mean, Alex is phenomenal. Um, he's an impressive human being in terms of his resilience, his drive, uh, the drive of like, of which I've never seen. Um, and his just ability to turn anything into a positive and, and to stay motivated when it could be so exhausting and there were so many reasons to potentially want to give up. Um, but Elizabeth was the one who was helping speak for him when he couldn't, you know, when his life was in danger and, and navigating that while still keeping her children, you know, mm-hmm. try, as normal as possible, trying to go to school and do all these things so that they didn't sense um, a worry about their father. Um, and then just keeping the whole family together. And, and she is a, I mean, I would not want to cross her <laughs> because she is, she's like a mama bear, you know, she is the protective and uh, defensive and she was everything that, that Alex absolutely needed. Um, you know, I always say for the two of them, like their story was such a story of a, a partnership and that, Alex doesn't have the same outcome if Elizabeth isn't part of the equation. Yeah. Um, Alex doesn't have the same. Out- I mean, another athlete doesn't have the same outcome just because he's not Alex Smith. I mean, there were so many things that had that really they're intangible qualities that the two of them have that allowed the story to play out the way that it did. Yeah. Like I told you beforehand, I don't have one particular team that I am, you know, concrete on. I, I become more fans of players. And, you know, I, I knew of Alex Smith beforehand. Um, and, you know, Matthew Barry bringing him back up, you know, joking around that he's a, a dinking dunk type of quarterback. But I became such a fan of him after watching this. Mm-hmm. Again, on the Hard not level. to, right? No. I, I was going on eBay trying to find a, an Alex Smith uh, a jersey to, to give for myself because I just, you know, what you know to support him that way. Fortunately, I was not able to, to find one. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, because now he's hopefully, you know, off to um, more exciting things. <laughs> knock on wood. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it was incredible. Um and I, I am not too proud to say that I'm, I was watching this thing in tears. You know what, Pat? I'm, I'm happy to hear that um, it moved people the way that it did. I think that for us was really important um, because the story is moving. You know, if you're not moved by it, then we haven't done our job in telling the story. So I don't think you were alone, if that makes you feel better. I, I, I'm sure I was, and, I, and I, I've gone to to many other people whether they're redskin fans or football fans or not like you you need to watch this it is so moving and so in such an incredible story i do warn that it, it does get graphic now for me that's not a problem because I've, I've seen a lot worse <laughs> believe it or not I, i've seen yeah some g- gross things but uh it, it is it's not censored at all it is complete raw access to to this journey um which begs the question now after you know may was it may 1st that this aired uh may 1st may 1st 1st of last year would you you know how did you 
you know, feel towards the the, the public acceptance. I, I have a few things I want to read here. Um, on IMDb, I looked it up, has a 9.0 out of 10 uh, rating from the public. I did not know that. I, I, um, I, you are telling me something that I have not yet heard. So, <laughs> yeah, that's... 9.0. Ben oh. Mencherson from Pop Break wrote, It's hard to be anything but inspired by Alex Smith and equally by Elizabeth who was there every step of the way, whether he is able to take another st- snap in the NFL. Now, granted, this was written before before mm-hmm. the season. And take another snap in the NFL game or not remains to be seen. But regardless, his toughness is unmatched and his story can serve as inspiration to anyone who watches the uh, captivating Project 11. I also have another excerpt I got here from one of your rivals, NBC um, SN said this about Project 11. ESPN and Stefania Bell should be commended for how they told Smith's story. And the Smiths should be commended for letting it be told. A lot of Project 11 will stick with you for a while. But the thing that's most resonant about the, the calmness, the bravery, and the perspective Smith has displayed through it all. Wow. Yeah, I'm just hearing these things for the first time, so it's kind of that's kind of nice. <laughs> wow, uh, you know, I think um, number one, it's, it's humbling to hear those things because you 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 set out you set out with any project to do the best job that you can, and, and you you hope for a great outcome, but you never quite know. No matter what you do, you never know how people are going to react. You know that you don't know that until um, it's until they're able to watch it and digest it. Um, mm-hmm. So naturally, um, it's very it's very nice. It's very uh, pleasing to to hear that feedback. But I do think it's a testament, you know, as was said to to the Smiths as well, because the story was only it could only be as good as the access provided. You know, one of the things, and, and my producer, um, Dan Lindbergh, was just phenomenal. I mean, he's just got such a great eye and a great feel and a great temperament and knew exactly how to work with them too, you know. Um, never pushy, always, like, we just had such a great working relationship between us and also with um, Alex and his family. And one of the things that, we said at the end, you know, some people said to me we, that that I wasn't in it. And of course, these are all like, this is where you get friends and family, but they're like, well, yeah. you didn't seem to be in it that much. And I said, well, you know, those it's really the best stories because we didn't have to write tons of tracks. They told the story. If you, between the physicians who were telling you blow by blow what was happening and Alex and Elizabeth, like when you can get your subjects and the people who lived it, to tell the story as much as possible, that's the best reporting there is. You know, we didn't, we just had to fill tiny gaps. Yeah. It's not like a lot of people see reality TV or some of these other news programs where you get either one side or a very scripted directed story or narrative. Um, This is, especially since it was captured at the moment, very truthful and, pretty much the full story just all put out right there i mean you you literally are taking it step by step almost day by day um through this process I, again um 
from all aspects of this, it, it, it was truly incredible in, in, in quite the journey. And I, I honestly feel bad that it took me so long to watch it, uh, oh. I, I, which I saw back in May. Um, I didn't watch it till, till maybe was it October? Um, whenever I actually, I tweeted out to you and, and you actually responded, um, which thank you, uh, <laughs> was, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it just it moved me in such a way that, you know, I I feel better for actually understanding and watching this. It's one of those things that, you know, human accomplishment and you, you want humanity or someone to succeed no matter who they are in, in for the good. And this was definitely one of those stories that of human triumphant being triumph triumphant. My goodness, I can speak sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah. I don't speak for a living. Okay. No, I know it. I know what you're. I know what you're getting at. That's all that matters. Um, but yeah, it, it's incredible. Let's fast forward now to October 11th, 2020. So I don't know if you remember that date, but it's the date that Alex takes the field for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. Season. I, I mean, his kids I was, and his wife there to cheer him on. So, how yeah. did this make you feel? Um, I, I was thrilled for him. I was nervous. My stomach. I got butterflies. I was in the room where we all watch football games, although there weren't very many of us because of COVID. We only had nine people, I think, that were allowed to be in the conference room, all spaced out. But everyone who was there, is our NFL people, were like, "Savania, Alex is going in. Alex is going in." And I, I was like, "Oh my god." I just kept saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm nervous. So I jumped up from where I was sitting. I had to go stand at the back of the room and, like, pace because I was excited, but you're nervous. I mean, we of none of us knew what was going to happen. Um, and I could see Elizabeth in the stands, and I, I'm thinking of her. And, you know, it's just all these emotions. You know, I think I got a little bit emotional. I think I teared up watching it because I, I couldn't believe it was happening. I mean, I could because I had been saying all along when I did media around the story that I would not be surprised if that, because people would be like, there's no way. I mean, it was great what he did, but there's no way he's going to play again. I said, it's not going to be me that counts him out because yeah. I've been up close to him now for a year and a half and I know the way his mind works. And I'm, I'm not going to say he can't do it because I've seen him overcome too many things. And so I wasn't surprised, but it was sort of this Oh, it's really this is really happening now and I just I wanted it I wanted this fairy tale of him going in and leading them to victory and all, it, which it wasn't going to happen that way and that was okay um, because the most important thing was that he was out there and you know when I saw Aaron Donald jump on his back that's when I thought oh my yeah. god I can't what's happening right now but then that's a big he, guy when, the biggest and when, then when he was off of him and Alex was okay. I think that moment it was like, okay, well, it doesn't get worse than that. So we know he's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, that I, I re- remember kind of thinking the same way. I'm like, when I watched him take that first tackle, it just might, you know, my heart stopped for a moment. And then he got up, he kept playing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> one down, things are going in the right direction here. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. Um, it, it's, it, it, it was, it was even for me, I thought it was carrying, like I said, I, I don't think I'd watched the whole thing yet. I just knew from reporting and everything like that, what kind of has happened, but not having the full story. So, you know, seeing him come back 
that was fantastic. Um, and I guess, you know, again, you know, going off his vein, how was it to see him to help drive his team to the playoffs? Granted, not the best record for <laughs> they, they won because no one else wanted to do, but they, that aside, they still won. The playoffs. They still won. They went to the playoffs. And I think, you know, it was just a nice bow on, on the season in terms of what he had accomplished. And so, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have made his season any more or less meaningful, but I think it was nice for him to be able to have that in his hip pocket. Like, yeah, he's the one who took him and yeah. at the end where they needed to be to get a chance to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Cause no matter what your record is, but if you make it to the playoffs, everyone starts fresh, fresh. basically. Mm-hmm. So, and then to hear that he won the comeback player of the year, rightfully so. I'm not that I think there was ever a question, but you never know. I, yeah. I just couldn't imagine. I sort of had that one in the bag. I was like, there's just, and, <laughs> and it's not to minimize, it's not to minimize anything that no. any other, I, I almost felt badly for guys who were coming off, you know, like Jason Verrett of the 49ers is a phenomenal story. And I wished he had gotten more attention for everything that he did to finally make it back. Um, but it's hard in a year where Alex, you know, Alex's situation was so unique and life threatening mm-hmm. that it really, um, the, it, there was no, there was no real competition for that award. Yeah. Um, I mean, to come back from multiple breaks in your leg, compound fractures, um, and undiagnosed infection starting to take over your body, having to have so much of his leg removed down to the point that it's amazing that he kept his leg. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, the fact that he survived all of this. Having experimental surgery, have muscles removed from other portions of his body to back to his the injured um, area. And having to learn how to to walk to move how to even just throw because well his arm's not injured but the whole body is involved right 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 yeah um is is such a again just a a remarkable feat um that you know you take anybody else and put in that situation and like you said the outcome most likely would not be in this case. Yeah. Uh, it, it is just, I applaud you for bringing this, you know, the idea of bringing this together and, and for sharing it for everyone to see. Um, I applaud them for allowing this to happen. Are you still in contact with the, the Smiths? Mm-hmm. Keep in touch with them. and Yeah. I think that's always going to be, you know, I, I, I hope so. Um, but it's hard not to become friends after living through that journey so closely together, you know? I mean, 15 months, I mean, that's, that's a long time, especially in in something again, just so personal, Mm -hmm. you know, injury is something personal. Yeah. A lot of communication in that time and a lot of, um, you know, we, we were watching so closely everything that happened and I think they, you know, they had to put a lot of trust in us to allow us to do the story. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. You're always nervous when it airs the first time, hoping that hoping that they're going to like what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were always intended to be honest. That was our goal. But, um, you know, that 
there, there was nothing shocking, but still the way it comes together, the artistic nature yeah. of it, you just hope that they're going to be pleased with it. And I think they were. I, I, I mean, like I said, I'm taken back, but then again, it's not my story. Um, so <laughs> one would hope. So, uh, you know, you, you should reach out to Elizabeth, you, uh, Matthew's wife, Beth, you all go to, you know, have some yeah. wine together, just relax during the <laughs> off season, you know, watch the draft together or, or not watch the draft, watch the Hallmark Channel. Right. Well, we'll I'm sure it'll be nice when we can all get together again. That'll be, that'll be great. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I do have one listener question. I'll, I'll, I'll phrase as a listener question. Um, one of the guys in my, my fantasy league, uh, Peter, had a question for you off the topic of Project 11. You want to know what your thoughts on uh, this cryotherapy is, if you, if you want to uh, oh, you know, uh, ideas or thoughts on, on that. I actually heard about it on the radio this morning, too, while I was driving my daughter to practice. I mean, there's a wide range. Is he talking about, like, the extreme, you know, like the liquid nitrogen tanks yep. and things like yep. that? Um, that you know, there's certainly... I mean, there's certainly people who use it and swear by it. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, there's sort of variable reporting in terms of results. Um, I think if we've learned anything from Antonio Brown's escapades, you need to be careful. Um, yep. There are precautionary measures you need to take if you're getting into one of those cold tanks. But, um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not like, a, a, I don't, I don't have a strong yay or nay for it. I think in general, cooling therapies can be very good and they can take a lot of different forms. Um, but, uh, you know, I think in, as long as you're being safe, I think it's fine to do, but I don't know that it's absolutely required either. You know, it's, it's an option like so many things in rehab. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of many tools, you know? Yeah. It's like anything moderation and use properly, um, could have <laughs> its benefits. I, I would take it. Um, I know very little about it. I, I, you know, certain things, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of more the, the first thing. It just wanted to put it out there. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, he, he was, he was inquiring. He's like, oh, you know what you should ask her? Like, okay. Well, I'll put it out there. So Stefania, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking time during your, your time off, um, quote unquote time off. <laughs> and uh coming on telling us sharing so much information um i i really appreciate it people want to you know follow you on social and stuff where can they find you so on uh, twitter i'm stefania underscore espn and on instagram it's stefania bell and um i have an igtv channel where some of my little um sports center hits talking about different injuries things with alex they're all up they're on my Instagram. You can find them there. And those are those are the two main places right now. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you again so much. And um I will definitely be seeing you soon on the, the TV and all the, the sports broadcasting. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you again to Stefania Bell for coming on the show and sharing so much information between her career, life, and especially the Project 11. Um, 
Again, if you have not seen it, whether you're a football fan or not, definitely, definitely check it out. Um, it, it's worth the time, and I, I cannot speak highly enough of it. Just again, gets a little graphic at times. Amazing story, though. It, it is, um, it's remarkable. Definitely worth checking out. Have you seen Project 11 yet? Are you a fan of Stefania Bell? Let us know. Find us on the socials and join the conversation. Our main Facebook page is facebook.com slash Disney Marvels Podcast. Our Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash Disney Marvels Podcast. On Instagram, we're at Disney Marvels Podcast. TikTok, we're at Disney Marvels Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at Disney Marvels. You can leave a voice message through the Anchor app or anchor.fm website or record a message electronically and email us, email it to us at disneymarvels at gmail.com. You can also email us any questions or suggestions you may have to that address as well. Don't forget to check out the Disney Marvels blog at disneymarvels.blogspot.com. Links to all of these are in the show notes. I want to thank you for your time. I know how little time we all have. And knowing that I got to spend some of that time with you. That we got to spend this time together, actually. means a lot to me. I cannot thank you enough. It, it, it truly means a lot. Knowing that, like I said, even though it's, it may be virtually. But that we get to spend some time together. Um, it... it it means so much to me. It really makes me feel like we're just one big family. Um, I know I just ask a little more of you. If you go onto Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and or review on there. This way it helps find people, um, helps other people find out about the show. But you can also both do both. You can tell people also. Tell your Disney friends or families about the show. Post it online that you're listening to the show. Send out the link. Say, you know, check check out Disney Marvel's podcast. Because the more people we have join our family, the better it will be. Walt believed in a big Disney family, so do I. Don't forget to subscribe to the show also while you're at it. And this way, you always know when new episodes are posted. But also consider becoming a premium subscriber to help the show out. You can do this over at anchor.fm slash Disney Marvel slash support. Or find our Patreon page where you get some kind of cool things and maybe some exclusive things coming up shortly. You can also check out our merchandise shop, get yourself some fun Disney Marvel stuff. You can find the link to these in the show notes as well. Remember, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. Whatever you're facing out there, whatever darknesses that seem to surround you, no matter how impossible things may seem. Please, please don't give up. Look deep within inside yourself and find the light that will guide you to where you need to be. Be your own hero. Never give up. Never give in. And let your light shine for all to see. Now I'll end this week's show with a quote from Walt Disney himself. What must concern us more thoughtfully is subject matter. Diversity. We must appeal to a far wider range of audience interests than ever before. We must provide to the whole new audience, particularly 
our alert and curious teenager that the movies and TV can compete for their attention with all the exciting prospects and activities of their daily life in a wonderful world of facts, of splendid dreams, and inviting experiences. Again, that's from Walt Disney. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you next time.